Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Spain is in Spain without the S with the retirement of both Carlos and Fernando. DR flails at the very back of the pack whilst his teammate gets third and Valtteri Bottas brings his Alfa Romeo home in fifth. G'day there. My name is James Baldwin and welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drive's F1 podcast. In this episode, we review the Grand Premio del Made in Italy, Emilia Romagna, but actually the San Marino Grand Prix. And I'm joined by my friends and yours in person, Freya. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. And remote, Thomas J. Camp. G'day, Campy. Remote, I'm, I'm at home. I'm in the uh, God's country over here. You're over in the UK with all the, uh, what, do you, what would you call them? The duds over there. So, how are you? Are you having <laughs> a good time? Creative use of the English language. Jeez, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best you can do. Uh, mm, duds. So aggressive in the Queen's <laughs> Planet Jubilee year. Um, doing very well, mate. Thank you very much. Good to hear. Uh, it, was, it was a very good to be able to watch the Grand Prix in Australia at a good time, be able to watch uh, Imola at a good time and then uh, be able to watch Miami at a good time. And if you are going to Miami, dear listener, oh, Freya and I will, will be there in some pub around the place because there is absolutely no way we are spending that much money on a ticket um, unless we were to get pit access, which is still not happening. So uh, anyway, I might uh, say hello. If you, if you are there, jump across the Discord our Discord server, link in the description below and we'll set up a little meet and greet potentially. But anyway, uh, we're here to talk about uh, the San Marino Grand Prix and I still just want to call it that because the actual Made in Italy Grand Prix name is way too long. Um, in fact, actually, no, before we do that, uh, an absolute legend from Cincinnati has left us what it can only be described as an incredible review and uh, and a massive thank you to you if you have left us a rating or review in the last couple of weeks, but specifically this one from Cincinnati native, of course, from the US. Uh, amazing. I don't worry at all because it's quite long, lengthy and long, but uh, you should absolutely go and, and check it out if uh, you're in the US on Apple Podcasts. Um, the only thing I will say is maybe one day Freya will get a positive review that doesn't mention Campy's breathing. What are your whole thoughts? <laughs> Can it, I feel like that those two things are mutually exclusive. It can't be a positive review and mention Campy's <laughs> breathing. So, like, I think you're calling it out as something great and I'm just not sure that I agree. <laughs> well, we get to hear the beautiful dulcet slurps and inhales of Campy. We've missed well, maybe not we, but a lot of people seem to have missed you, mate. I'm back. Um, this I'm is back. your first. This is your first review for the year, isn't it? 
It is. It's my first actual weekend that's been un, in uninterrupted, other than, I mean, we had our Anzac Day celebrations this morning, so we couldn't record at our normal time, but, uh, yeah, I've been doing a bit of life, and uh, it's been good. But I'm back, and I'm concentrated, and I can tell you what, what an absolute shit race to do to come <laughs> back for your first weekend. I'll tell you what, this is the third year in a row we've done uh, – Imola, and I've campaigned since day one that Imola can go yeet itself somewhere because I'll tell you what, <laughs> what a shit racetrack. I mean, the country's good, producers got another good racetrack, Magello. that's cracker. We should be going there before we go back to Imola. Not sure why we've... Uh, not sure we've all jumped on this Imola bandwagon so quick, but um, yeah, no, it's been good. But you're absolutely right, Campy. We mentioned Magello, and it's an interesting thought, Freya, that we come back to Imola and we get a little bit excited. It's like Monaco. We get a little bit excited before Monaco. The Monaco actually happens, and you go, that was pretty boring. Uh, similarly to this racetrack, there was a bit of anticipation. There was a lot of cars getting bogged in the paddock from uh, from what I could understand, a lot of social media managers, cars being stuck in the mud. Um, but it wasn't really the best racing that we've seen. And this is our brand new car. Yeah, it's, you know, it's supposed to be better overtaking. DRS is way too powerful in the sprint race, wasn't in the race. It just caused really procession, didn't it? It did. And we, we watched the race together and I think it was halfway through, I was kind of like, yep, Latifi, if you could do something now, that would be great. <laughs> um, just... Completely uneventful, really. Like you said, the DRS is way too powerful in the sprint, but doesn't play out in the race. Whether that's because it didn't wasn't on for you know, obviously the first half of the race, really, when everyone got off inters. But um, yeah, let's not go back, Magello. I'm this is, you're going to hear this very rarely, but Campy, I agree with you, and oh. I'll happily be your um, campaign manager. And yeah. let's bring back Magello. <laughs> I just remember there was yeah. an onboard from Danny Rick in uh, 2020, I think we were there. There was an onboard and I think it was one of his qualifying laps that he nailed. He didn't breathe the whole time and afterwards he, he sounded like me, you know, just sitting here recording a <laughs> podcast. So that tells you something about how much, uh, <laughs> how fit these guys are and what they're actually doing. So that's why I like that trail. I know he had some pretty serious crashes there and I think that's probably why the FIA decided to not go back there. Um, but hey, those crashes could have happened anywhere. But um, moving on, what did you think of this sprint race first? We've tried it for a couple of years now. What did you think first one of the year? I think it's rubbish. Yeah. I get, well, this is going to be a very interesting podcast because I agree with you. Again. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't mind the idea of them most trying people something. do agree with me. That's the yeah. thing. <laughs> I'm just not look, most people just look at the comments we get over everything. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I like them trying something new. So I'm not against that idea of kind of saying, do we need to shake things up? Do we need to make it more interesting for our fans and viewers and making it a more interesting weekend? But I just don't think this is working, is my opinion. I don't like it. Um, it's I don't think it suits every track as well. So I don't really see how they're going to. And they're going to kind of build it into the season in a way that makes sense. Um, so you get tracks like, yeah, Imola, where a DRS over that kind of distance just doesn't make any sense. And it's a lot of racing as well. Like it's already a huge weekend for everybody involved. Um, and I just don't think it's adding value. Yeah, I agree. I think 
the there's there's a lot of comments on Twitter around oh well if you prefer a free practice two session to this then what well, something's wrong with you, and I get that because there is absolutely potential for this to be a great thing. One of the things that I think is still maybe not so great is that it it, it sets the race. From what I for whatever reason I was seemed to be under the illusion that. Actually, it didn't, and qualifying was qualifying. So whatever happened in quali on Friday would set the race start regardless of what happened in the sprint race. And a sprint race was just a separate part of it's a points grab very randomly and it you start exactly the same position on the grid and you have, we have effectively two races, one that makes the difference to the championship and one that can make a difference for the midfield teams like Williams and Haas and a few others that could potentially – do some strange things to their car to set it up for the shorter race distance uh, in the sprint race, get some points, and then, you know, not be so good for for the longer time. But for me, it just doesn't really add that much value to the overall weekend. If anything else, it's bloody confusing to try and remember where. It doesn't make sense either. And we're here in the right time zone for Formula 1 and it was still confusing then. It's like, oh, hang on, it's it's Friday. Now I need to find somewhere to watch this bloody event. Uh, And that was just really, really confusing. Anyway, so I'm with you, Campy. I think it's it's a bit ridiculous. There, There is, to me, an ability for it to work. It's just not in its current format and it's certainly not at a track like Imola. Yeah, look, I, I think there's some things to solve it. Put qualifying in the P2 position first thing Saturday morning, qualifying for the sprint race. Make the sprint race 150 kilometres, so it's that extra 10 to 15 laps. It's almost half, it's half the distance of a full race. But do it so it's a mandatory one-stop with some ultra-soft tyres. You know, there's a different compound for, for sprint races, a softer compound. So it means you can burn them up. Get a lightning stark, trying to hold it off, hold off on a track on passing. They need to start. They need to change it up because at the moment the tracks, the race is too small. Um, it's too predictable. They need some some sort of. They need to change it up a bit. I don't mind them doing things, but then again, I'm a purist. I don't like change either. I think the old format's the best format, and it works. I'm a bit of a traditionalist like that. So uh, yeah, take it back. Uh, but if you were to change it, they're my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to that. Absolutely I'm a reformist and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, let's talk about the weekend properly as a whole. Um, and we're going to begin with Tommy T's favourite part because he's not here. Uh, but it is Tommy T's, but now I suppose my television broadcast review. <laughs> Well, here's my hot tip. Stop Nico Rosberg's involvement in Formula One full stop. I am sick of this guy <laughs> talking crap that is irrelevant. He's sitting in his living room. He's dialed, He's not even in person. And he there's this delay, which is probably more significant than your experience in Cabby from recording this podcast with us. What value is he adding? Absolutely bloody nothing. I'm I'm sick of hearing him. I'm sick of his... Lewis like, oh, well, look at me, a world champion. Mate, you've got so many world championships less than Lewis. No one cares. Stop being irrelevant. Get out of the bloody picture. At least do something like Jensen Button, who is phenomenal when he's trackside, but he's just signed up to race with Excite Energy Racing 
in Nitro Rallycross alongside Ollie Bennett because his dad used to do Rallycross, which I think is bloody awesome. The problem with that is Nitro Rallycross calendar is pretty full on and there's some overlaps with Formula One, which means like uh, they did Barcelona testing over the weekend, uh, last week rather, which means we're going to miss him on the Sky broadcast, which means we're going to be bloody having to listen to this nonsense from these nonsense presenters time and time again on the feed. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm not a big fan at all of that. I'm sure Tommy T would agree with me. Um, the uh, One of the, the benefits, though, uh, I think, of this race is one of the benefits, one of the, the upsides for the broadcast was we hardly saw any upfront action. The, the TV director kind of focused on that midfield battle of which there were several um i especially liked the end of the race where we really saw uh vb and the russell action i really hoped that that would have uh commented in um, vb getting past and him saying something along the lines of well geez if you're a mercedes driver and you're in six it's uh you know you shouldn't really be a mercedes driver after passing russell after his ridiculousness Love last that. year um, and again, another point here Love is that. Paul DeResta's useless contributions. Uh, and that's my, I'm giving. Oh, mate. Paul DeResta is Sky F1's new Martin Brundle and that's what he's been groomed into taking the position. Uh, and that's the way it's going. Paul DeResta's analysis is great. I think he gives a bit more personally, but he's, he's firmly under the card of Martin Brundle and going to take that take that position at some stage whenever he does and uh, that'll be his for the rest of his life. Let's talk, before I give overall a rating, let's talk about the National Anthem and the flyover. National Anthem, Campy? Cracking. Live band, love it. A great anthem too, up and about. The second half of it was like da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, I love it. Get in. Get in there. Oh, where are they getting into? There's where a lot of the where are they going? To go into <laughs> yeah. Wherever they're going. Um, and the flyover was was fantastic. They were five seconds off um, of TOT, but that's okay. I allow it because at least it happened, unlike Australia. Although someone said to me that the Australia, there was a flyover, but there wasn't from the anthem point of view, and that's when the flyovers count. Um, there was absolutely roulettes and stuff in action uh, over the Oscar Grand Prix weekend, but. I want a national anthem and the last note finishes or the whatever the sustain is and then <laughs> jets over the top. Everyone's bloody like, yes, let's go um, and get up and about. But uh, unfortunately because of um, Nico Rosberg's remote involvement, uh, I'm giving a two and a half out of ten to this entire <laughs> broadcast. Uh, he drags it down a good eight points um, even though everyone else was doing a fairly reasonable job. But you notice when... Uh, even if PDR is being groomed into that position, Brundle holds that whole team together, and when he's not there, it's very evident that it uh, that there's a massive gap missing. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? Let's continue talking about Formula One uh, in the qualifying session, which was pre-sprint Friday afternoon. Um, Freya was on an aeroplane, so we will uh, forgive you for not watching that. Uh, Campy qualifying. Ended in Lando Norris uh, having a bit of an off and and binning it, which did well for him. Massive Charles Leclerc Monaco last year vibes for me. Of course, neither of them did it on purpose. Yeah. But uh, interesting, the the mixing conditions and, of course, just how the fortunes of of being braved slightly earlier on in the session meant that uh, you got further up the field. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't mind people spinning out and crashing out when, Conditions are like that. I mean, it's happens for Lando. 
lucky because he wouldn't have got third. He wouldn't have ended up in the position he was because the track um, was getting better the whole time. Unfortunately for his teammate Danny Rick, he only got one lap for the whole of uh, for the whole of Q three. So. You know, and when he did that lap, he was on pole, you know, and then, you know, as it happens, people go after him and get track positioned on him. Danny Rick was on track for a front row. I, I firmly believe Danny Rick is faster in that car than Lando at the moment. It just seems to be in qualifying. He's not quite nailing it or he's he's missing some opportunities. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's a tight track. There's people going off everywhere. I think K-Mag, his spin in qualifying. Jeez, how good was that to save that? I think I think they're very touchy on the – they're very quick to bring out these red flags, though, when they didn't need to either. And things like, you know, when K-Mag did his thing, he was still in control of the car and it was, he hadn't even hit the wall when they called the red flag. But what it means is they've got to get everyone off track and then continue it. There should be some sort of a bought system that they should have. Uh, that's frustrating me a bit. Uh, what else happened in practice that was exciting? Uh, Whose who's rear brake blew up? Was it Albon's in the uh, Williams? That was incredible to that see, was, wasn't it? Very strange. I was like there was something in there that was combustible. So they put some sort of like tin cake lid over the the drum to try and. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, Not the one from your grandma. Well, they call house it a cake. They call it. Like, sorry. Kept in uh, in the biscuit tin. Yeah, they call it a cake tin, don't they, over there? Anyway, it was it was literally like something blew up. Uh, other than that, Holly was pretty boring, really. Mm. Yeah. Not much. Oh. I mean, Williams missed uh, Hamilton and uh, whatever George is. Awesome. They missed out because of the rain and the red car, uh, the red flag, and then rain afterwards. But who cares about Mercedes? I'm just laughing at them at the moment. It's good. It is the how the mighty have fallen. Quite quite seriously, the the demise is is pretty significant. And I know that they'll be making Lewis can. Sorry, Lewis can do what he wants. He's an eight-time world champion, arguably should be nine-time. He's better than everyone else on track. But when he's got a dud car, it just shows really what this sport is about. If you don't have the machinery on it, you can't do anything. So the drivers, yes, they are a difference, and yes, they do make a small difference, but it's probably not the, you know, 75% with thing. It's probably only, you know, within that 2%, 3% per driver. So. Well, yes, uh, he absolutely is. And, look, he's great. He, he got those seven championships on merit. And, of course, the first couple, uh, especially the first one, McLaren, he worked his ass off for it. But Mercedes, yep. and look, if you haven't listened to our interview with Richard Saxby from McLaren Applied, he was head of Mercedes R&D for all eight world championships that they scored. Um, and he had some really interesting things to say, Camby, didn't he, in terms of especially about how these guys now, yeah. guys and girls at the factory, a lot of them are so used to winning, they haven't had to deal with getting back towards the front and, and having that that decent fight, whereas Red Bull and Ferrari and literally everyone else on the grid has been in that position for a, a number of years. So it'd be interesting to see how they turn that around. Um, but, yeah, with, with ha- Hamilton qualifying in 13th, George Russell qualifying in 11th, um, of course, as you say, it allowed – Someone like Kevin Magnuson to go fourth in qualifying, yeah. which um, which unleashed Haas's social media manager to <laughs> release a, a new Gunter Steiner boat. If you don't know anything about that, um, you if you've seen Drive to Survive, the most recent series, um, there was an Aldi photo shoot with him and Mick Schumacher, Gunter either, 
and uh, there was like a little canoe. And anyway, every time Haas do well, the social media manager, Mark, gets in and photoshops another bigger boat into the background. Um, he did it anyway. So there's a bigger boat in the background there. That's fantastic. But Fernando Alonso, uh, he qualified in fifth. Fifth. Ended up having a terrible weekend. But for, for a lot of this campy and Freya, and this is one of the things that you and I were saying in terms of the sprint results, seeing all these different teams all the way up and down the grid is phenomenal because someone like Aston Martin, absolutely terrible in Australia, here suddenly have found something. Maybe it was the fact that Mike Crack didn't go to the team principal's dinner with everyone else, that he was able to make that car slightly faster. But whilst we say it was a terrible track, what is interesting is you just don't know where people are going to flush out and especially in mixed conditions like this. Oh, absolutely. And we kept getting almost a bit confused. So we're like, wait, is that Aston? Like, why are they there? <laughs> they- <laughs> where did you where did you come from? And oh shit, it's actually Stroll. Like, what is going on here? It was um yeah, very strange to see that play out. But it was good. And yeah, there was a lot of time we were watching it. It's during sprint and then also during the race where there was not a Mercedes on the screen, there was not a Red Bull on the screen. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, so I did enjoy that side of it, I suppose. And yeah, I think the one thing though with um, yeah that that sprint race in comparison to other tracks, I just don't think it, it don't think it works. The DRS is way too powerful, and that became just very apparent very quickly. Um, but yeah, it was enjoyable watching different cars come up. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the sprint uh, because there was really the only massive action we saw um, up until. DRs, and we can talk about the DRs incident with with Carlos, was uh, Joe and Gasly connecting um, and some punctures and some spin arounds and and all the rest of it there. That was pretty sad for Gasly because by that point he hasn't really had a great time. Both AlphaTauris, in fact, were out in in Q1 at their home race, which is absolutely no good for them. Um, He ended up qualifying... In 17th, <laughs> ended up putting in 17th, and I knew that Campy would be like, well, it's because he's not that good. He's in the bin, uh, the very bottom of the bin. But uh, Freya and I know, and Tommy T and Manus and everyone else listening to this podcast, just how good of a driver Pierre Gasly is. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting to see, as you said, Freya, how powerful the DRS was. I mentioned a little bit earlier, Campy, that for me the DRS in the race wasn't, super powerful but in the sprint for whatever reason it was just like absolutely mega yeah i think we saw a lot of passing one-on-one cars uh in the sprint you know there wasn't a train as soon as you get a train it's a lot harder to pass um for whatever reason aerodynamically it just makes it a bit difficult i don't think there's a much difference between it but you got track conditions too i mean drivers weren't too keen to get off that dry line in the race you know get on that mm. wet or damp i won't say wet i'll say damp they didn't want it i mean even looking at the bottas v george russell battle for the last six or seven laps bottas clearly didn't want to get on that inside damp line because he didn't want to lock it up and, take someone out. So I think he had the speed to get him, but, yeah, the comparison's been between the two. I just think it's a bit of track conditions and, uh, and and as I said, the um, the DRS train. Yeah, which was, which was kind of annoying, wasn't it? Because obviously we had inters and there was a long time, and Campy, you know the rule that uh, when DRS is enabled, is, is it the first car that goes onto slick tyres then the race control should at least turn on DRS. 
or has it changed? Because I, if, I feel like it took a long time for DRS to be enabled. No idea. No idea. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I just, that's I just great, feel like it's a, a lot question. longer than normal. Ask, um, ask it, one of the video gamers out there. They might know. Well, you probably know. Esteban Ocon at least said the same, similar kind of thing in his post race. And he was like, yeah, it kind of took a while for this to turn on, which was hard. And by the time it did turn on, everyone was kind of settled in their positions. So, as you say, that wet and dry line, that's a big thing. Um, if only George did the same thing as Valtteri last year, he wouldn't have had that crash um, at Imola because he was being ridiculous. Anyway, um, it was interesting to see. The more knowledgeable drivers, the more senior drivers, the better drivers drive properly to not cause massive incidents, absolutely. Um, but the big thing, I suppose, in the race, and, and let's just talk about the race quickly before we go through our team-by-team team analysis, is DR, Carlos Sainz, and VB. The first thing I want to note about this is these front wings are fantastic. I am so glad yep. that... If there is not a little bit of contact, like last year and every other year before that, you'd have a little bit of contact and there'd be about 20 billion bits of carbon fibre and 17 red flags to try and clean up something. The fact that we had uh, DR's front wing shunt into Carlos, spin him around, Carlos and DR then having a bit of uh, a kiss session of their cars between front wing and then Bottas coming and yeeting up the back of DR. So three front wings all having pretty significant load none of them needing to be changed was mind-blowing, like absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. So that is part of the new regulations and new designs that I think is fantastic, needs to absolutely be more like that so we don't have random bits of carbon fibre flying around the place. But camping- Something happened to DR's, something happened to DR's car, though, after that incident. He was absolutely was. carrying damage. Yeah, but whether or not yeah, it was front yeah. wing specifically or other car, but yep. that was no good. But uh, yeah, in terms of Frey, in terms of Carlos Sainz, this is the second race in a row where he has found himself facing the other direction, stuck in the gravel. He's just signed, of course, uh, an extension with Ferrari, putting him on level playing field with Charles. So that will hopefully create some unity in the team in that respect. But you got to feel for the guy. Yeah, that was no good. I was just, yeah, I was hoping that going into that weekend after the contract extension and everything else, you're right, he's going to be on a high here. Um, you hope that that goes in with a bit of confidence and everything else that and the benefits that come from that when it comes from being a good mindset for the weekend. Um, so I was hoping that he would do well. And I think from memory in sprint, he actually made quite a bit of progress um, and had quite a good um, performance there and then just no luck in the race whatsoever. Um that was, yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah, Cappy. Yeah, so but he he is someone that we all really love, Carlos. Uh, Carlos, and we want to see him perform. It's it's really hard to watch, isn't it? Because well, and look, Charles made a mistake and isn't as you know running away with the uh, the championship at this point. Even though people are like, oh, look at this, he's running away with the championship <laughs> next no, minute, Red Bull domination. Um, the but for for Ferrari though, we don't want to see uh, something so early on where it's very clear who the championship contender is, and Carlos is going to have to play second fiddle, play the team game, if you will, like a you know which he probably would do, but it's not so great. Just to try and support Charles. 
what are we, four races in? There's 19 races left, which is like a whole season from yesteryear plus five tracks, you know, at, at our lowest, whatever it was, Grand Prix race for a season. So there is plenty of racing to go. Ferrari are not running away with this championship. Charles Leclerc is not running away with this championship. Uh, Red Bull is clearly the fastest car on track, and with Red Bull behind the wheel, uh, they they'll just they'll smoke they'll smoke Ferrari. In saying that, although Carlos had a pretty good weekend, uh, other than the shunt, I mean, not a lot went his way. And the last two weeks in Melbourne, not a lot went his way. But this week. When he did get the laps right, he was in front of Charles. So that's what I wanted to see from him, really. He'll bounce back. He'll he'll win some races this year. Um, unfortunately, he's... I kind of forget but he's, Charles, but he hasn't won a race. Yeah, he's that's a guy that... He's a guy that's just a notoriously slow starter to a season, too. Hmm. And we've spoken about the differences, but I think the difference between Charles and, and uh, Carlos as drivers is... The difference between your best and your worst with Charles is a lot smaller than what it is with Carlos. Carlos is going to have weekends where he's four and a half, five tenths quicker than Leclerc and Leclerc scratching his head, but he's also going to have those weekends where he's three and a half tenths slower in qualifying and just can't pull the car together. He's not happy with the car at the moment too, hence why he's having the problems he's having. So when Carlos gets happy, and he will, it's a learning process for him. Um, yeah, in, my, in my mind, he's better than Charles and it'll play out over a season. Let's not just look at the four, first four races. Well, there's meat on the table. Uh, and so far they seem to be <laughs> playing pretty nicely. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. All right, let's go through our team-by-team team analysis. Um, as someone uh, in the apartment above us is using a hammer on the floor. So my apologies if at any point you can hear very random, loud uh, banging noise. Uh, let's talk about Alpine first, right down the very back with Fernando not finishing at all. Um, and Espan Ocon in 14th, Freya, there was a just an absolute explosion of Fernando's car and talking about bodywork flying all over the place, that's what happened. It was, and he didn't seem to realise. And it was, there was a love that moment where he said, how's, how's the damage? Literally half of your car is not there. <laughs> <laughs> we can see everything inside the car right now. <laughs> um, but he didn't seem to have any idea how bad it was, which I also love. Like he just gets on with it and kept racing, obviously, and then came in to, to pit when he realised how, how bad it was. But um I just love seeing that from people like Alonso where you just keep going for it. He, if it was up to him, he probably would have finished the race. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that was um, disappointing to see. And far out, that would have been dangerous as well. Like so lucky that that didn't actually have a more of an impact on whether it's, you know, even spectators like depending on where it happens in the track. It was actually pretty scary. Um, and Ocon, yeah. It was a crash with really- Mick Schumacher, that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's when yeah. Mixed, when the whole incident happened with that corner and uh, Dr. and Carlos and VB yeah. and everyone else. Yeah. Well, I didn't and I didn't see this to begin with. In fact, I mentioned it to you in the replay, like the second or third replay. I was like, oh, mix spun. Oh dear! And yeah. yes, of course, his his uh, right rear touched um, Carlos's uh, car, uh, Carlos uh, Fernando's car, which is what ended up causing that implosion. But the implosion was yeah. just so significant and so out of almost out of nowhere. You didn't really see much going on and then poof. Yeah. It, it was Hamilton or someone travelling behind him that, yeah, if his car was in a slightly different position could have been. It was Hamilton and that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like he was pretty lucky to avoid 
anything, any further damage to other cars as well, mm. which obviously is complete luck in terms of where everyone was at the time. And then Ocon didn't really do much, did he? No. <laughs> Standard Ocon. Yeah, I mean, he sort of, as as he said, post-race, he by the time DRS sorted out, it was very difficult to pass and he was, he was trapped in that train. Um, someone who was doing something, though, for Alpine over the weekend, Campy, was our boy Oscar Piastri doing uh, a test in uh, Coda, which was very exciting to see. Yeah, good one. I didn't know that. So talk me through it, Jim. What happened? You know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping, trying to keep an eye on uh, on our boy to see what he's up to and yeah. make sure that Alpine's doing good stuff with him. Now, there is, there is starting to be conversations around Oscar and what he's doing next year. Ted, in his notebook, mentioned that uh, there are now potentially some links to Williams with with him um, and what that might look like. Uh, not such a bad thing. I mean, any kind of race seat at this point is better than no race seat. Uh, and Williams yep. under Albon seem to be doing a pretty good job. Um, I also imagine they'd be starting to have thoughts about Nicky and his ability to keep it uh, on the tarmac, whereas he did keep it on the tarmac this weekend, to be fair to him, but that's not now not what he's known for, as you've said, Freya, many times. Uh, but that could potentially be a thing. Campy, do you reckon we could see maybe Renault offering cheap engines to, to try and get a customer team? Um, because the Alpine power unit in that Renault power unit is maybe not so bad as it used to be. Yeah, look, I mean, this is the politics and the business of F1 that we we don't sort of see play out. I mean, for Renault, uh, sorry, for Alpine, they don't want to be getting rid of Oscar Piastri. They see a genuine bona fide star. The problem is they got Fernando Alonso, who is a genuine superstar, we all know that, at still at 40 or whatever how old he is. He's still worth his weight in gold. Um, Ocon, they signed him way too early and what? He's Ocon's not going to walk away from a three-year contract after two years and be like, ah, no, sorry, that's not happening, or a three-year extension or whatever it was. Um, someone can correct me out there. Um, so they have to do something with him. They don't want to let him go. But if they don't put him in the car next year, they're going to have to let him go because he's going to get an offer from somewhere else. And there's no way contractually that he's bound to that organisation if he – if he has a drive somewhere somewhere else. It's all, you know, whether they want to keep him or he's on loan like when Carlos went to Renault and he was on loan from Red Bull. Uh, Renault, aren't, Renault aren't nasty enough to do that sort of stuff in my opinion, but they've just got to get him in the car ASAP and get rid of Ocon. That is the simplest solution because Ocon has proved that he had a year off, was probably detrimental to his career, but he's come back, got sp- Absolutely spanked by Daniel Ricciardo in uh, in his first year back, and then I mean Alonso's really pantsed him since then, and he looks second rate. So get him out. Well, we only uh, we can only look at what the the data is, and the fact is Alpine had some great pace in Fernando Alonso in Australia, um, and. Unfortunately, with the incident with Mick, it meant that we didn't really get to see what his pace was like on a track that's not too dissimilar to Melbourne in terms of the flow and the speed of some of the corners. Um, And it's a shame, isn't it? Because we want this constructors battle to be a four-way between these different power units. Um, And as I said, it could be potentially Williams and under Yost Capito might potentially be 
thinking, okay, well, what's the best step forward? Because Mercedes aren't necessarily, well, at this point, there are Mercedes customer teams faster than the actual team, which is what happened to Renault under Cyril. So we've Toto's turning into Cyril Beatable very slowly um, and potentially there's some some benefit for Williams to, to go into that space. Well, let's continue talking about Williams then. Freya, Latifi, 16th, unfortunate. Albon just out of the points, though, in 11th. Of course, he had an absolute miracle Grand Prix in Australia by going the entire race distance minus one lap on a set of hard tyres. The tyre whisperer, yeah. Sergio Perez, needs to hand over that uh, mantle now to Alex Albon. But 11th is, is obviously no points, but it's good. The, he's making good sort of step-by-step gains, solidifying his position with this team and, and helping to go forward. We saw this from him in Toro Rosso times as well. And my 2019 was a great year for him in that car. Yeah, and he was seeing him, he had a good little go with Hamilton, I think, at one point um, in the race. And, yeah, it's when you start going, okay, that's we can all remember that you can actually drive. Um, you haven't necessarily had the opportunity to show it as much recently, um, having had the time away. But I think, yeah, I think he had a, a good weekend. He in the battles that he did have kind of, you know, showed that he was he was right there with his elbows out um, and against people like Hamilton. So, you know, there's definitely capability there. So, um, no, I think it's, it's great having him back um, on the grid and enjoying watching him race. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the same. Uh, do you think Campy, he is a kind of driver that's going to help Williams really drag themselves back towards the front of this mid-pack or – do they need to have someone like Fernando Alonso or someone with a little bit more experience come in to, to really help them out? Like maybe K-Mag, not in terms of making this car, but what K-Mag is doing for Haas with Mick Schumacher. Um, look, the, I think for the Williams organisation, the last best driver they had was Valtteri Bottas and he was the guy that was pulling them out of that, that funk that when he left, they just – had you know they've had some paid drivers and some not so senior drivers go into that organisation. I think where those drivers make the you know make the difference that eight to nine percent you know at the top end or well, I'm pulling numbers out of my backside, but where those good drivers <laughs> make the difference compared to the uh, you know you know for the sake of a good story you know. Um, look, he's the last driver. I don't think is Albon that guy. I don't think so. I don't think he is, but. He may prove that to the organisation that he probably is the best driver they've had in that car since since Valtteri left. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, for me, Williams aren't exciting. I think just because of the, you know, it's a new category this year. It's a new new way of racing, and I think as this as we get further and further into these set of regulations, Williams is going to be a team that drops back and back and back because they just don't have the R and D. And the the team and the drivers behind them to pull them up to the top of the world championship again. It's a shame, isn't it? Because and we were talking about where VB was should have been going last year, and once it was very clear that he didn't have that Mercedes seat anymore. Um, lots of people were saying, "Oh well, Williams, you know, they've got this new funding through the team ownership's changed. It's great. We've got Yost Capito in, and Yost is fantastic. We know that he's fantastic." Um, but, gee, I bet he's happy by not going back and going to Alpha because 
where he finished was absolutely phenomenal this weekend and is the highest result that that team has had for a while. And we'll come to him in just a little bit. But for Williams, it's sad still to not see them make those massive leaps and gains that we thought we would see as a result of the regulation change. But you're right, Campy. I mean, they are just a team that unfortunately still don't have that ability or that previous funding to have invested in this car. In saying that, though, I mean, they could have had a weekend like the Haas this weekend, qualified really well, and then had a car quick enough to hold, you know, got a really good start, like a Russell who went from 12th to 6th or whatever it was. And, you know, that Williams car around a track like this, particularly a Monaco, if they get it right in qualifying, can hold on for a very, really strong points position, which is a thousand times better than what they were two years ago. So they are making improvements now on the gains. Whether or not they got the driver and the infrastructure, the R&D personnel behind closed doors to be world championship contenders, I don't think so. But, hey, we, you know, we'll watch them moving forward. But Latifi's clearly the yeah, still our favourite Canadian, but... Probably not having the start. He's not having the start of the year that I probably thought he would have this year. We were really uh, – the end of last year, I mean, he was racing against George Russell, but he was doing really well against George Russell to the point where he was genuinely on par in qualifying within, you know, within a tenth uh, for the last sort of five, six races. And I thought he would have a better year this year than what he's had. I mean, he's the new Mazda spin really um, after – you know, four races. But, I mean, hey, look, moving on, let's – I mean, he's spun in the last race of last year too. So, uh, who knows? Look, m- moving on, you know, in 10 races right. time, he doesn't spin. He loses that title too. Your home team, Haas, which I've just remembered that they're American only very recently after uh, the Russian flag disappearing off the car, colour scheme, I should say, even though it was definitely not a Russian colour scheme. Um, we're so happy that K-Mag is back. And you, you mentioned this during the race that it's not potentially the team that's so exciting, but it's K-Mag. And historically, we probably weren't, well, we weren't aware of just how much we, we enjoyed him having, having him on the grid. But now he's come back. He's, he's performing brilliantly well. Of course, Haas is seeing some success, which he obviously deserves. And, and he and Roman fought each other and everyone else at the very back of the, the pack for so long would have been very deflating. Now to see a Haas tuck right in behind a Ferrari well ahead of Mercedes in terms of qualifying performance, it it's brilliant to see. It was. And I think there was a, a moment where we had um, K-Mag, VB and then Russell and the three of them just kind of going for it and you're going, it's just great that you've got an alpha and a Haas in I can't remember whether it's first sixth and seventh or fifth and sixth, but he was going, how is this happening? And it's awesome. I'm here for it in a big way. Um, George can go away. But besides that, seeing uh, seeing VB and KMAG having such good battles was just so great. And like I think I've said this before, but it's no fun watching a team suffer and just coming out every single weekend going, are we going to come last, second last, and if we finish? You know, it's just it, that's not enjoyable with a fan to watch. You don't take pleasure in watching a team kind of just struggle through like that. Um, so it's just enjoyable to see them have, have some success and K-Mag's doing phenomenally well. Campy, Mick Schumacher. We sort of said last year that obviously his F2 championship the year before, he was there on merit as a result. That's, that's yeah. good. But now that we've got a driver in K-Mag who – can perform, you know, very well considering he, he came back into the series after a long time out. 
did exceptional things in that first race, in that first qualifying session. Do you think we are seeing just how far behind Mick is as a result of not having that driver around to be his mentor last year, um, considering he's had a full year in the sport and he's still making mistakes that potentially he shouldn't be anymore? Uh, it's a good theory. Look, I would have said it's more, I mean, guys get into these cars and they're quick off the bat. I mean, look at Magnuson, his debut in Melbourne with McLaren, you know, straight on the podium, first race. And he was good enough to contend with the people, you know, with seasoned campaigners and solidified his name really early. Uh, Mick and a lot of these junior drivers coming through, A, they don't get that opportunity very often, so we don't really know how good they are. I think Mick's made F1 because he deserved it. I don't think it's because of last year and how much he suffered. I don't think it was too comfortable coming into F1's a massive learning curve and he's learning all the time and still is. But I just don't like, – at the moment, he's not, he's not in that – He's not a prospect for a top team at the moment, uh, judging after the first four races, five races that we've had this year against a bona fide, genuine, you know, call him a journeyman in F1. He's probably not, K-Mac's probably not going to win an F1 championship. He's he's worthy of it if he got in the right car at the right time, just like 90% of the drivers are. Mick, he's not there for me yet, and he's but he's still young. I mean, he's got a three-year contract, and he's great for marketing. So he's going to get that. He's going to get every chance possible to have a good career out of in Formula One. And you know, we're seeing we can't judge him this early. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's interesting. And look, I don't necessarily agree with my own point. I just wanted to ask the question because I yeah. think it's for me he. Mick is a super lovely guy. Just is so much is so loved by so many people. Yeah. Doesn't carry an ego at all. Has the name to carry the ego. Doesn't carry the ego. Whereas there are other people in the grid that potentially do that. Uh, but for Nico me, Rosberg, it's a shame. you dickhead. <laughs> it's almost a shame. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, he hasn't had that that mentor, that ability to to pull him pull him up and, and give him that skill. But now he's got it in, in Haas and Haas performing well. Anyway, I, I'm I hope that that he can do that. And are now obviously with this solidifying of Carlos's contract until 2024. There was also some chat about, yeah, but then what happens to Mick? As you said, Campy, he's not ready yet. And why are we so intent? And this is get on my soapbox moment again. Why are we so intent on promoting these young drivers straight to top teams so bloody quickly? Because we've seen time and time again it not work. Charles is the exception to the rule. The Red Bull scenario that we've seen in the last and Max years has been yep. absolutely ridiculous. And Max, absolutely right. But Max was alongside DR and DR yeah. taught him a lot. Beat him for exactly two and a half what, years. Exactly what Vettel did. Thank you. Uh, so many things. because, And that's what it should be. At the end of the day, when drivers get older, they're getting slower and the succession plan comes in and overtakes. Unless you're Fernando Alonso and you're just continually to be quick and you're an absolute legend of a human being driver. But it is interesting from that point of view. That That's where I sit. Let's talk about Aston Martin because they actually got points this weekend. Sebastian Vettel, here he comes, not on a scooter, no, on his own car, and he finished in eighth. Lance Stroll finishing in tenth, double points fish, uh, finish for Aston Martin. Very, very good indeed for them. Um, and even for the sprint race, Seb Vettel was having some wonderful battles all up and down the grid. Um, and, and so was Lance Stroll. Although they didn't get points in sprint, they uh, they were still doing pretty well, qualifying 
Uh, Seb got ninth, which is fantastic to see too. Stroll in 15th. So with more time in the car, Campy, he's coming back a little bit, Seb. Uh, I mean, there's no chance he's winning world championship ever again. Uh, let's be very clear. But the time that he's spending in the car, hopefully now he's enjoying it. He enjoyed that. Um, but what is with his hair, Freya? <laughs> He just needs to acknowledge that he doesn't have any. Yeah, just exactly. cut that shit off, honestly. It's getting worse every single week. Yeah, it was my favourite My favorite comment from your <laughs> everything to do with watching the race is can Seb just acknowledge that he just doesn't have hair and stop trying to be Fernando Alonso? Or get a beanie like Campy. Or get a beanie. doesn't matter what uh, what the weather is, if it's hot or cold. Hey, you guys, you guys, you might not notice. This is actually a new beanie. Oh, my God. It's the same color as your old one. Have you just gone and bought the exact same beanie? Dad, my dad found three the exact same color, so he bought me three. <laughs> that is the con. That's it. That's the whole podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. That is that's the whole content right there. That's what I needed to hear. Your dad. Oh, your dad's a legend. Shout out to your dad. Um, so so. So funny. We went to the rugby yesterday, and we're both wearing the same uh, same beanies. Anyway, drops me home, and and the new wife. We're having a whiskey when we got home, and we said, "Ah, oh, cheers." The new wife just looked at me, and she's like, "I just saw my whole life flash before my eyes. <laughs> she will not change in fifty years. Come on." And well, you've just acknowledged how little you like change, so that seems very, very likely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh dear, very, very good. Yeah, but Fast and Martin Campy, it's it's good news for for them to finally get some um, points on the board, but also for Sebastian oh. to actually get classified in the championship this year. The only thing that makes me positive about that, anything about that organisation, is Uncle Seb being there. And, uh, he's a statesman in the sport now and he conducts himself beautifully. Missed the first couple of races and uh, good for him to score some points. I think it was on a track with varying uh, conditions, which meant that these bottom string cars, given their chance, right place, right time in qualifying, could move up the grid a bit more and get some results. Had it been a dry race and, you know, 35 and clear all day, I just cannot see that Aston Martin being anywhere within the fight all year, and that's because of the shit show at the top in Lawrence Stroll. He's coming in, he thought he could treat it like a like a clothing brand or whatever it is is done. And there, I just don't think in high-performance car racing uh, the follow-through is there just because you've got the massive amounts of money. You can go and buy all the best engineers and buy a manufacturer like Aston Martin with a consortium and then expect that that's those same workings in management that we've seen on Drive to Survive and the couple of interviews he's done, that same style of leadership – to come across for on-track performance. I just don't think that in this sport it doesn't work all and I think he'll ultimately be an absolute failure. I mean, the brand yeah. will continue to make money as we move into the electrification of cars and as a brand and he'll make money, good. But as for on-track racing, it'll be a failure for him. Yep. Well, they everything uh, he's done so far from- has been shit. The fact, <laughs> the fact that Lance Stroll is still racing in this sport suggests that that organisation is shit and doesn't know what it's doing. If they were to sack him tomorrow mid-season, get someone else in good, I'd be like, right, they're making the right decisions. But until that happens, that's where they sit, unfortunately. Yep. It's, uh, it is a shame to see where they've gone. 
from making <laughs> did you just down a whole glass of red wine uh from yeah. making so, <laughs> yeah, so much. Uh, if only this was a live television show, I could tell you what, listener. I mean, it would be on Channel 31, which is an Australian reference, and uh, it would be absolutely not funded at all. Um, look, let's continue to move on. Uh, Aston Martin, they are what they are. Alpha Tauri, uh, look, Yuki Sonoda Freya did a thing, Stop. seventh. Um, outperformed Pierre Gasly, um, is in 12th. Not a not an indication of past performance, <laughs> let's be clear here, but... Yuki was up there having good scraps with a lot of people all up and down the grid and Gasly kept Hamilton behind pretty much the whole race. Yeah, absolutely. I think in for those guys, and it's probably the best finish they could have asked for. I don't think they could have really achieved much more than 7th and 12th where they finished up. But seeing Yuki up there was refreshing, um, mm. was really good to see. Um, and like you said, had his elbows out the whole time and was racing properly. And it's, it's well, whipping boy. Whipping boy. We just haven't seen much from him for, for quite some time. Mm. So um, much probably like Latifi or anyone else who's in that position where you're kind of going, you've had a, quite a few bad runs that you need to at some point <laughs> break that that habit um, or that they're kind of, you know, tracking performance. So, no, it was good to see Yuki up there. Made me happy. Gasly did a, did the best he could. I don't think it was an awesome weekend for him. He had a bit of bad luck along the way. But um I think ultimately for for Alpha, that's probably the, the best they could have done. Yeah, and for their home race too, it was good, as you said, for Yuki to perform, but obviously for them to get some points on the board after a very dismal qualifying that they had. Um, let's continue on with Ferrari. Campy, as we've already mentioned, it's a shame what happened with Carlos, um, but Charles Leclerc uh, finishing in sixth, was running in third, made it, <laughs> they made a pit stop and he said... Um, to his engineer, yeah. oh, I think we're on the wrong tyres. The engineer's like, okay, checking. Or, okay, copy, we'll look into it. So, well, what are you going to look into? Yeah. <laughs> the wrong tyre on, yeah. there's nothing to look into. But Ferrari, not really the weekend that they would have wanted back on home soil. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the story with signs, that's just a shame. Um, we touched on that at the start. It's not what we want to see for him, particularly for Ferrari and where, they are, where they're going and are this year at the top of the sport. Um, for Leclerc, I don't, I don't mind the decision they made to pit him to get that extra point. They need to be aggressive at this stage. Um, at this stage of the championship, they're winning. I don't think. I think they're the second fastest car grid on the car, as I would normally say. So. <laughs> um, they, uh, no, I think I don't mind them pitting and being aggressive to take that extra points. What they need to do, unfortunately, Leclerc just—I mean, he was—he was in within that second of Perez, and he had the DRS, and he was trying to pass him. So, it—you know—that opportunity created something. He made a mistake. I don't mind Leclerc making a mistake, mistake, a mistake. I mean, the guys won a couple of races. Yes, I, th- I believe. Um, but he's not—he's—he's he's not one of these guys that's won nine or ten races and knows how to control a race from up the front and pinch victories like a Lewis Hamilton. I mean, these guys seasoned campaigners, consummate professionals. Leclerc is still learning a bit, and it's the first time that he's really been in that in that top two, top three conversation to win a world championship. And uh, he will learn some things this year. Do I think it will happen? No, but he will learn a hell of a lot being up the front. And um, I don't mind him making decisions. That was the right decision for a Ferrari to make to go for that extra point. And, Mm. you know, 99 times out of 100 probably would have come off for them the way it should have. But 
hey, these things happen and that's motorsport sometimes. That's why we love it. So good on Bonotto. <laughs> that guy, Bonotto, Bonotto is Bonotto is the best performer on the whole of the F1 paddock from where he's, you know, from when he took that um, took that car over uh, in the depths of them being, you know, race pace a minute and a half behind in the back of the midfield three years ago to a top two car. Um, I mean, I, we criticised, I criticised him at times last year for being, where's Wally, what's he doing? He's not even at the racetrack concentrating next year. Everything that guy's done, the way that the way that organisation is is handling itself publicly, it's not it's not being the stupid flamboyant where we are F one, we are motorsport, we're the face of this. They're doing everything right behind closed doors to get a car that is the best car in the world on track, and you know the flamboyancy and stuff and the flair which naturally comes with Ferrari and the, the Italians and the way they do stuff moving forward. It's going to be great to see. It's going to be great to watch. It's going to be great to be part of it. And I think, I think I need to give the Bonotto the big salute for doing a killer job in that organisation. The scariest thing with Charles, Charles over the weekend was the sliding as he was coming out of the pits. But it wasn't yes. just him, obviously, everybody yes. else. Yeah. But there were moments there I was like, oh, God, he's going to bin this coming out of the – just having boxed. Like that was – Scary. <laughs> I thought that's where Latifi would have been yeah. it, to be honest. I was waiting for mm. that to happen. But. You're right, because there was no there's no dry line forming no. there because there's hardly anyone going over that bit, but they're on slicks in inter weather specific well, inter conditions, sorry, specifically on that exit. Um let's continue. Alfa Romeo. Oh, VB. <laughs> VB fifth. Joe fifteenth. Um, that's okay. Joe's still in his first year. He can learn. This is this is one of those things that, again, that's why I think, you know, he's going to be a better driver as a result of being alongside Valtteri than if he was alongside another rookie. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is a great result for Alpha, for, for Sauber. You know, historically, Charles, I think, uh, got the, the best result he got was ninth um, in Russia. And that would have, that was fantastic a uh, result for for Sauber back then, uh, but now for Valtteri to be doing this and to be following George for so long, Freya, that is well, it's, it was great to see. It was that yeah, like I said before, that kind of shot where you had um, K Mag BB and then Russell kind of battling away again, and and again, it's where you do see some of the changes coming through with the twenty twenty two cards. I just don't think that would have happened last year necessarily with the three of them going toe to toe, and for that for have lasted for so long. Um, but it was great to see him see him up there. Just And then I think he had a really slow pit stop, um, which kind of just stuffed it for him, which was frustrating to say yeah. the least. But, um, no, great to see VB out there, loving watching it. Yeah, it is it is bloody fantastic. Yeah. Very, very happy for that. Uh, and he just seems oh. happier. He's leading – he's the lead driver of the team. There's no pressure. He's got a multi-year contract. He's leading – himself and Joe now rather than being on year to year. The whole thing is different. He deserves it. Very, very, very good to see. Campy so, Mercedes. Hamilton, so 13th, so Russell fourth. So unacceptable for George Russell to be performing the way he's performing in that top car. Mate, he goes in the bullshit. <laughs> that guy played last year to come in and perform so shit and poorly in the first four. I don't care that your organisation's now not the best team and you don't have the best grid on the car and, you know, depending on track position that, you know, 
you could be a 15th place car with a seven-time world champ. I don't care. Right. Your performances thus far don't warrant your job in that in that seat. So get better, you dickhead. And I, <laughs> he's my new like he's my new most hated driver. Just the way he carries himself. It's a flog. Absolute flog of human. That's what Lewis, say, as I said he, earlier, he can do what he wants. Would you say that he's your new whipping boy? Oh, totally. Can't stand him. Does I just, I, I can't, I can't. <laughs> that that race last night was so boring. The thing that kept me going was that in that last six laps was like, I just wanted Valtteri to just pass him. Yes. I could yeah. not wait for that to happen. And unfortunately it didn't, but hey, we'll move on. Yeah, Hamilton 13th, very, very deflated. Uh, they're going to be obviously working incredibly hard to make sure that they can bring this car back. Freya Toto said things like, you know, the car is not worthy of Lewis and, and all of this sort of other stuff. But at this point, um, it's going to be very hard for him to maintain a level of confidence uh, and will to want to be there to do the best he can every week because eventually this happens to every world champion. You end up not being in the fastest car anymore through either Regulation changes like we've seen with Lewis or you move to different teams. So you go from Red Bull to Ferrari like Seb or something else that happens in that similar kind of thing and it's the downfall. I'm not saying we've seen the total downfall of Lewis yet, but certainly seems like the change of the guard is here. I think he'll start getting a lot less enjoyment out of it. It's not fun when you're not winning and I think that then permeates through obviously your experiences on race weekends and everything else, but – you know, the attitude of everybody else who's working at the organisation and um, just your day-to-day experiences, it's it's no fun when you're not winning. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do next, if he decides to race next year even, if he doesn't feel like there is a plan for success to get that car back to where it needs to be. Um, but, yeah, I think he's probably, you know, he's experiencing what everybody else has and, and will, as you say, and we seem to see how that affects his kind of planning for the next year or so. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Let's keep going. McLaren, absolutely bloody woeful weekend, really, total for DR Campy. Uh, right at the very back yeah. of the pack, 18th. So hard too because his teammate Landon Norris third on the podium ahead of Charles, of course, after Charles made that mistake. But – He's still there smiling and supporting the team and and playing the team game. That's going to get harder and harder to do, though, uh, the further he gets into this year because as much as he can still become world champion this year, and, of course, I believe that's going to happen still, with results like this, just absolutely crushes any any kind of confidence that you might have going into the race. Look, I've watched Danny Rick super closely this year. He's been on the money. I think his race pace is better than Lando's. He just needs to tidy up that tenth and find that extra tenth and a bit in qualifying, and he'll be fine. Unfortunately, what we saw on the weekend—that's just unfortunate. That's just motorsport. These things happen. Lando got a lucky podium. He was never on for a podium until Ferrari and Leclerc made that mistake. So I'm not fussed about that. I think moving forward, the good thing for McLaren as an organisation is after that first race debacle and how bad it was and we're going, oh, geez, this is bad, is that the last three races they've improved to a point where they put a car on the podium. And 
You know, they were 20 seconds behind a podium generally over a race distance, which is about half a second a lap, which they still need to find to be competitive over a race distance. But uh, look, I'm stoked because every race that organisation's getting better. Wouldn't surprise me if later on down the track there's some tracks they go to that are really good that uh, Danny Rick's winning some races. So they'll be, I mean, I, I don't think they're quick enough to beat. They're not quick enough to beat Red Bull over a season, but hopefully next year that's the year for them. But Danny Rick's better than Lando, in my, in, in, particularly in race pace this year, which is a good thing. Uh, he's utterly spanked him every time. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see it last night. And just sitting there in 18th doing fastest lap every yeah. third lap, which is what it felt. So you could see the pace was there. But, yeah, it was that kind of been fun. Just Oh, when he was on the softs, yeah. Yeah, but kind of been fun to look around at the back. Just Well, he lost. I mean, you look at, uh, I think it was, uh, it was Schumacher who was directly in front of him. I mean, he lost 20 seconds over the race distance to Schumacher. So, I mean, there was clearly something wrong with the car, but um, couldn't get anything like the pace that Lando was getting out at last night. That's because he you know, went into the side of Carlos, should have taken his front wing off and cop some from behind from Bottas. Did he actually get clipped from behind by Bottas? I don't think he did, did he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. did. He thought he had. After, yeah, it was after he'd already hit Carlos. Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. So Got he'd understeered yeah. into Carlos um, and Valtteri wasn't ex- obviously wasn't expecting it, uh, but when he collected Carlos and obviously threw the brakes on, Valtteri was like, hello, oh, <laughs> you're a lot closer than I thought yeah. you would be, which is which is an absolute shame. And but can good for McLaren can just say- to have a podium. Can I just say, look, Andreas Seidel did an interview after P2 in Melbourne on the Friday and he just looked really happy. He had a big grin on his face, big smile, and he knows that the issues they had into race one they'd fixed. And that for me was like, right, they're back on the right track. And they've been they've been the third best car really on the grid moving forward. Yeah, and that was evident this weekend. They were absolutely third best car. Yep. Um, it's just we've seen Ferrari overtake the, uh, Mercedes to to be in that position. They seem to be exactly yeah, where they it's were. Yeah, frustrating. It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. You know, it's better than what they were in the fo- first two races. So that is good news. Of course, yep. finishing up our team by team analysis. Red Bull at the very front. One two was a, was a fantastic race for both Max and for Sergio, uh, but Max just disappeared up the road. It's the first time we've seen. This year, a catcher and off he goes, building seconds and seconds and seconds of of a gap between Sergio. Sergio had a bit of an off. He's trying to do full Fernando Alonso and just going, I don't really need to go around this corner. I could just go direct through here. That should be fine. Um, but, of course, they had a great result in sprint too with Max getting first in that and, and Perez getting third. So in terms of a race weekend, Hall of Points, Red Bull would be absolutely happy, Freya, wouldn't they? Yeah, they needed it um, to do a bit of catch-up after the first couple of races and, and get the points haul that they, they needed, I think, in order to kind of just keep that confidence with where they are um, when it comes to the both well, both championships. Um, 2016, I think, the last time since they've had a 1-2 one, one, finish. So exciting for them. And I was just glad that we didn't see much of it, to be honest. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, we yeah. saw the action where it was happening as opposed to those two just – going around the track and occasionally straight through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, It absolutely is evident that they have the most powerful car on the grid. I think we've said that for the, for the first couple of races, Campy, even though you haven't been around, but the issue has been reliability. Well, they brought both 
cars home, one, two. You can't ask for anything better than that. And they didn't have any reliability issues at all, all over the weekend. So that's a good step forward for them. Absolutely means a championship is alive. Well, that's our team by team analysis. Thank you to you both. I know it's, uh, and thank you for, for listening. Obviously, it's a little bit later than what we'd normally release an episode, uh, but uh, we do have Campy's favorite part of the episode still to go. It is our fantasy league and our fantasy names. Fantasy. 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 Three of you now involved in the uh, in the league, which is great. It's great to have you all involved. We'll start here. I thought he supported Arsenal, Daniel T, on, on uh, Lewis Hamilton's takeover bit of Chelsea FC, which is uh, with uh, with Serena Williams, which is very very cool and very bizarre. Uh, lick the stamp and Senna oh Daniel B. Sucks. Won't someone please think of the DRS, Samuel R. Scuderia morning replay, Matthew W. Copy, we'll check. IRT, not too hot for a beanie, Byron H. <laughs> Bimala, Steen N. Red Hot Break Ducks, Max R. Ricardo, no, Ricardo, oh no, Carlos, Nicholas H. Bono, my legacy is gone. <laughs> Signs is turning my fantasy team into a nightmare, Jonathan C. <laughs> Carlos is in Spain without the S. He's also in Spain without the A. Um, Zach G, Stroll and Tommy T's hairbrush. Both are useless. <laughs> Craig G. What's with Seb's hair, Jane oh, W? Wow. Great question, Jane. Just here for the Imola cat content, Kelly W, Tommy T, Stewart, Kate P. Thank you for being that. Um, uh, three races in and I'm cooked. Blair H, Steiner Ship, Zoe G. And how long is a GP name this weekend? Well, look, thank you so much to all of you for listening. Thanks for leaving us a rating. Thanks for leaving us reviews. Thank Thanks for being part of our community. Discord absolutely going off as always. It's great to be here with you. Who's winning? Who's winning out of the five of us? Uh, I don't even think I've got a team this year, so I do apologise. The great news is it's probably Manus, uh, very annoyingly, because he is absolutely the best at doing this out of all of us. Um, you don't even have a team, Campy. Is Luck of the Irish, mate. Is absolutely no good. Luck of the Irish. I just get drunk and pick randomly and he wins. It's <laughs> Manus, I can assure you, he's drunk 90% of the time. <laughs> Not a potentially incorrect statement. Uh, but anyway, it is time to end the show. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with a preview of the Miami Grand Prix, the most expensive Grand Prix I've ever seen. And as I said at the top, Freya and I will be around Miami in the Grand Prix weekend. So keep your eyes peeled on social media and on Discord for a potential catch-up there. But can't be massive. Thank you to you. It's great to have you back. Uh, Freya, thank you to you. Great to have Cheers. you back. We'll see you very soon for the next episode of Lakeside Drive's F1 podcast. Three, two, one. <laughs> Nailed it. Imagine that in person. Um, Frey was just saying that she didn't watch anything, which is just in line with exactly what Tommy T would do, therefore no change to this podcast. Podcast Network.